I gave up smoking because I wanted to give up smoking for my health and for my own well-being. The children were definitely a motivator because, as I said earlier, I didn't want to be a hypocrite and ask them not to smoke or not to vape when, you know, I was smoking myself. But I think if you're thinking about giving up smoking, it's very important you give up smoking for yourself, not give up smoking for anybody else because it's a very hard thing to do. You need to give up smoking because you want to give up smoking. Welcome to the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. My name is Noreen Turley and today I'm talking about tobacco and vaping with Dr. Paul Kavanagh, our public health medical expert for Tobacco Free Ireland programme, and Sarah Halpin, who is working at community level to support people to quit smoking. So welcome and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thanks for having us. So Tobacco Free Ireland is something that has been in place for the last 10 years. And we know we've come a long ways in the last 17 or 18 years since the banning of cigarettes in public places. But today we want to talk about what next, smoking, vaping, quitting, and what we're going to do about the figures. And we know that our numbers are still at 18% of people in Ireland still smoke. So first of all, I was going to talk to Sarah, who has given up cigarettes And I just wanted you to tell me a little bit about your story, Sarah, how you gave up cigarettes and how you got to where you are. Um, So I gave up smoking about six years ago. I was a heavy smoker for about 30 years, smoked between 20 and 30 cigarettes a day. Then I had three children. My children were becoming kind of up to that teenage years and I used to smoke outside the back garden and you know I'd see their little faces pressed up at the window and I just thought this has got to stop it's not healthy for them to see me smoking I can't ask them never to smoke if I'm smoking myself so I thought right I I need to do something about it so I didn't find it as easy as I thought I was going to we have courses that we run in Balbriggan and they start in January and then they start again in September. So I initially was going to join in September and start and managed to talk myself out of it because I loved smoking and sure really what harm was I doing and all of that. So I waited and then the January came along and I thought, right, it's now or never. So I joined. And how did you know where to go? How did you find that? Well, I was aware of quit.ie, you know, through the radio and television. Um, and we have a local partnership in Balbriggan, Empower. And I knew that they were running courses. There was posters around and it was on social media, things like that. Um, so I knew where I could go. It was just kind of taking the first step to go, which I did in January. And I think because I had been a stay-at-home mum for so long, I'd kind of lost a bit of confidence So I went along on my own and it turned out I wasn't as ready as I thought, you Mm. know, I I did quit, but I had a couple of relapses, went back on smoking and I did complete a 12 week program, but I wasn't happy with how I had Mm. done. So I came away, smoked more than I had smoked previously, (laughs) which, you know, is to be expected I suppose and I rejoined the course and I rejoined the course with a much better mindset and I knew it was going to be very difficult I knew I would struggle but I think I mentally had prepared myself for that and on the programs that we run we kind of ask people for a quick date on week three and it's basically so 
people can get the same level of support. They get a longer amount of support. Sorry to interrupt you there, but just to go back to you as a smoker. I know you're teaching the We Can Quit program now, but go back to you as the smoker. Tell me how you felt. Did you tell anybody that you were going that day? How did you feel? You said your confidence had dropped. You were at home, mum. I can completely relate to that because I've been at home, mum, as well. And how did you feel walking into the room that day? I was very nervous, very, very nervous. Um, Just it was horrible. I, I kind of pulled up in the parking lot. I sat there for a few minutes and I thought, Again, I nearly taught myself out mm-hmm. um, and taught myself, you know, said to myself, really, is smoking that bad? And sure, I'll be grand. And, and when you walked into the room? Well, it was very welcoming. There was a lot of people there and there was two facilitators there and they came over and introduced themselves, told me I was very welcome. So immediately put me at my ease, told me to take a seat. And um, I just, yeah, I felt welcome. And then it came to, we'll introduce ourselves. And again, I was really nervous and I couldn't listen to anyone else's information because mm. I was so focused on what I was going to say. You were trying to remember your name. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I was horrible. And then I just settled in um, and I found I got such great support from the facilitators the following week, I wanted to go back and answer your earlier question. Yeah, I told everybody because I needed to be held accountable. I wanted Very everybody good. to know yeah. that I was quitting or, you know, and that way if anyone seen me, that they could just constantly ask me about it. So yeah, yeah I wanted every, I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. So actually. you really, you really exposed yourself then. So yeah. if the kids saw you, so what, the first time then the kids did see you smoking, obviously. So were you, did you feel guilty about that? Oh, I felt so guilty. I felt yeah. like I had let the children down. I let myself down. I just felt I was a hypocrite. felt I was just a really bad parent. And But yeah, you kept was, at it and you went back. I did go back. Yeah, I did because I just, I really did want to to quit smoking but I I just didn't have the confidence yeah you know so I did go back I'm so glad I went back um, Mm. and I found the group really really supportive and really helpful and apart from the support what else did you get is there medication or there's yeah. different things that you can can yeah. help you you get a 12 week supply of nicotine replacement therapies so for most people that would be a patch and you can get a 24 hour patch or a 16 hour patch and it just slowly releases nicotine into your body and then you get an aid as well so for me the first thing in the morning I found very difficult I really craved a cigarette first thing in the morning mm-hmm. so I had an aid and my aid at the time was chewing gum so okay. you'd have the chewing gum swallow and then you'd park the chewing gum in the side of your mouth so that worked for me so there are loads of there's about five or six different aids and um, there's lozenges, there's the mouth spray, there's an inhalator. So did you try them all? No, I didn't. No, oh. the chewing gum worked. For, I actually I tried the inhaler, but I don't know. I think I expected to have a plume of smoke come out of it or yeah, something. Yeah. And it didn't. But a lot of people would like the in, inhalator because they have the hand to mouth. OK, yeah, um, the action, action that they going would be used on. to use. Yeah. And Sarah, then there's something with quit.ie, don't the support workers keep in touch with you on text? Yes, I think they give a weekly text to everybody just to see how they're doing and check in with people. Yeah. So you've moved on now and you're, you've started working with the whole quit program and working in We Can Quit. How did that happen? Yeah. So my facilitator, when we um, at the time, um, a lovely lady called Jean, done a really great job, I have to say. And she works within the Empower 
organisation. And I suppose when I quit smoking, there were other things, there were other options open to me that Jean would have put me in touch with. Um, so there was a Healthy Food Made Easy course and then there was the Week and Quit uh, and they were looking for people to train to become facilitators. And Jean asked me, would I be interested to do that? There was about a year, year and a half yeah. later. But because the course I felt was such a worthwhile, it was just, it's a great course. It's so supportive. It's so non-judgmental, which I feel is really important. Mm. Plus, you know, financially, you'll get the, the help with the NRT for people that don't have a medical card. So I was absolutely delighted to go and train and become a facilitator. And I love running the courses. I just, it's so rewarding. So, Sarah, that's kind of amazing. You said to me at the beginning that you were at an at-home mum. You had no confidence. No. You were sitting in the meeting. You had to remind yourself what your name was. Yeah. And now you're standing up in front of yeah. people who want to quit smoking and you are delivering the course. Yeah. That's really quite incredible. That's it, an incredible success and achievement. Yeah, it's huge from where I started. The first night walking into the Week and Quit program as a participant, uh, it was... Yeah. It's just opened my whole world, giving up smoking. It so it's really not just has. giving up cigarettes. It's no. your confidence, your it's kids. My, myself of pride and, you know, the empowerment I feel. And giving up smoking is one of the hardest things anyone will ever, ever mm. do. It's really difficult. So I think if you can overcome that habit, you can really do anything. Do you think people really understand that smoking is an addiction? Or do they think it's, they, they just assume that alcohol is an addiction or drugs are an addiction? Do they really understand I that don't, smoking is an addiction? I don't know if they understand fully. I mean, to my knowledge, nicotine is stronger than cocaine. And we'll talk to so, Paul a little bit more about nicotine. Yeah. So, I mean, there's places, you know, that you can go if you have a drug addiction. Um, and I think tobacco is is a huge Huge yeah. addiction and it's longevity as well. People smoke for such a long time. They don't realize the damage they're doing. Yeah. But so, I, I think it's a very hard thing to quit. But I think the group support really helps. So you're now the facilitator for We Can Quit. I so am. what's your role now? What do you do? What's the course about? How do you structure your course to make sure that you can get the success that uh, your facilitator got with you? So basically with the course, we're a 10 week course. The first six weeks we follow um, kind of like a participant handbook and there's a different different exercises in the book and each week we'll focus on your smoking triggers, your smoking habits, things like that. So it's quite structured for the first six weeks and then for the last four weeks we would have what we call open sessions. So we would have experts from different fields would come in. So always we would always try and have somebody in to talk about stress and how to handle stress mm. because giving up smoking obviously is very stressful. And Sari, sorry to interrupt you there, but you did mention to me when, uh, when we spoke before that um, you found it more stressful when you were smoking than since you've given up, which I would have assumed that everybody <laughs> yeah. says, oh, my God, I smoke because it's I'm so stressed. Yeah. So how do you I found that really fascinating, really? So I started a group last week and I had two ladies there and they lead very stressful lives. And they said the reason they smoke 
you know, is to relieve distress. And I sat down with them and I explained that when you have a cigarette, your blood pressure actually rises. So you're making yourself more stressed. And I explained to them, it's not the actual cigarette that de-stresses you. It's the deep breath in and out. Yeah. In and out. That because I figured that out myself when I was quitting, I realized. So what I used to do was I used to still go out my back garden and sit down for a couple of minutes and I used mm. to do my deep breathing. Very good. And also I kind of help people to understand smoking is very stressful because it's become very antisocial. So if you go into a social situation, the first thing you do is you're looking for your exit mm. to, to go and have a cigarette somewhere. So you're all the time, you know, on, on tender hooks, you're nervous about mm. where you're going to smoke, when you're going to smoke, are people going to look at you if you're walking out of the room to have a cigarette? Yeah. Um, whereas when you give up smoking, there's a whole new sense of freedom. You don't wow. care where the smoking areas are. And I remember my first holiday when I had quit. I was quit about eight months and we went foreign and I was really super nervous. And mm. what were you nervous about? I was nervous because you imagine you're sitting on a sun lounger with a cocktail in hand and you're, you're having your cigarettes. Yeah. And I thought, what am I going? Who am I without smoking? Yeah. Um, so I was very nervous going. And in actual fact, what happened was when we got to the airport, we went straight through to security. We didn't have to wait until I had my last cigarette. Yeah. When we landed, I wasn't running to get my luggage so I could run yeah. out and have a cigarette. So the whole experience was just much more calm. Wow. And I think I heard maybe that your husband also gave up cigarettes <laughs> at the same time as you in support, which I think Some, that is amazing because yeah. I would assume that that would be make things so much easier I'm not yeah. saying it's easy but it would help yeah well some might say I'm bossy but I did say to my husband if I'm going to do this I'm going to need <laughs> you to do it with me because I, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to quit and have my husband walk out yeah. to the back door even though you close the door you know just the smoke is everywhere. And mm. um, so I said, you know, if I'm doing it, you're coming in with me. Buddy. How, did, how did he respond to that? <laughs> he said, yeah, absolutely. He'd That's support amazing. me. He's, he's a great man. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was brilliant. And he quit too then. That's so fantastic. We went through the program together. I attended, obviously, the weekly sessions. Yeah. And, you know, I'd show him the book and... And there's a program specifically for men now and now we there, can quit, Yeah, now they've started to, to yeah. run men only programs and then they have mixed gender programs as well. Okay. And do you think that's better? Do, do you think that men just assume these programs are for women? Oh, it's a woman's group. Um, so is it good to have men in the... It's really good to give men yeah. the option. Why would you not? Yeah. You know, there's, there's no reason why men... Do you deal you with know, them differently when they come into your group? Nope. No. Absolutely not. I think it's very important on the first night of any course that I start, I think it's very important to make people realize I understand that yeah. it's going to be a very difficult road ahead for them. Mm. Um, it's very important they understand that the support will be there. You know, I'm always there. I always tell people I'm at the other end of a phone call. Yeah. Um, and I'm sincere. That's a lot of pressure, Sarah, though. That's a lot of pressure. No, it's not a lot of pressure at all uh, because most people once they know you're there they don't feel the need then to ring yeah. you so it's putting people at their ease when when the participants quit on week three we would give them a weekly phone call or a weekly text message between weeks just to say you know i hope you're doing well keep going just a little bit of encouragement and then of course the nicotine replacement therapy is 
fantastic. Yeah, you no, know, that's so. brilliant. <laughs> that's a great story, Sarah, and that you and your husband have given up together. Yeah. We know you can save up to X amount of money a week if you give up cigarettes. Yeah. And for you, was that a finance, was the financial incentive there for you to give up cigarettes? Absolutely no. To be honest, no, it wasn't. Um, I think when I was a heavy smoker, cigarettes could have cost 50 euro a packet and I still would have smoked. Um, I only really got to terms and appreciated the financial benefits about on week eight, week nine, when I was actually saving money. I think when you're a heavy smoker, you will find the money to smoke, you know, irregardless of how much a packet of cigarette costs. But I will say when I gave up smoking on week three, by week four, I had an extra 140 euro. Wow. So that was my saving because, of course, my husband gave up with me. So we saved 140 euro a week. Which a week? Was, yeah, which was a treat for the kids, which was a day out, which was Sunday Amazing. dinner. But no, at the start, it wouldn't have been. My motivator, I think, at the start uh, was definitely my children. But it was something I gave up smoking because I wanted to give up smoking for my health and for my own well-being. Uh, the children were definitely a motivator because, as I said earlier, I didn't want to be a hypocrite and ask them not to smoke or not to vape when, you know, I was smoking myself. But I think if you're if you're thinking about giving up smoking, it's very important you give up smoking for yourself not give up smoking for anybody else because it's a very hard thing to do and you know you won't be able to to do it you need to give up smoking because you want to give up smoking very good and, and you can't be pushed into it you have to be ready and sarah when you say it's improved your health it's made a difference to your health in what way has it made a difference to your health um i suppose you know it would have helped with my breathing and walking you know my energy levels would really have increased yeah, my hair and my skin. And actually, I would always say to people on the night one of the Week and Quit program, you should take a picture of yourself now, as in when they go home, and then compare it at the end of the course and you'll see a great difference in their skin. Wow. Um. So smoker skin's quite grey and a bit washed out. But when people give up smoking, we can see it. We can see the difference. That's amazing. Yeah. So there are, there are an awful lot of health benefits. And it's, it's, it's a great sense of achievement, I'll be honest. Wow, <gasps> that's amazing. So I wanted just to talk to Dr. Paul Kavanagh now, who is our public health medical advisor to, for the Tobacco Free Ireland programme. So, Paul, that was a very interesting s story from Sarah. And there was a lot of pointers there. Was there anything you'd like to add to that or that you picked up on that you'd like to comment on? Yeah, no, look, well, um, Sarah, that, that was a that was a great story from Sarah and look, very, very hard act to follow now in terms of, um, you know, t t talking about the talking about the problem when you hear firsthand what somebody's experience is, you know, I'm very generous of Sarah to share that with us. But, you know, as she was telling the story, there were a few points that really resonated with me that I think are worth reflecting on. So, look, one of the first things that um, Sarah spoke about was um, her motivation and getting really clear on her motivation to quit. So Sarah was telling us about um, the concern that she had um, in relation to her children and the fact that maybe she was setting a negative role model 
and that they might think, well, look, if I can see my parents smoking, maybe that's something that I would do. So that wouldn't be unique to Sarah. That would be a common motivator that we would hear from people who smoke that are interested in quit- quitting. But I, th- I, I think for somebody who's going to make that journey to quitting, getting really clear on what the motivation is, is, is one of the, the, the most important things they can do. And it was very interesting to hear that from Sarah. I mean, the other thing that struck me from Sarah's story was um, she really spoke about the, the sort of complex way that smoking is tied up with day-to-day life so you know habits routines you know she talked about the psychology of it um, and then she talked about the physical addiction that there is with smoking as well so I thought that was really interesting one of the things that I thought Sarah was really honest around and I I was you know considering this as Sarah was speaking and I I think within the program this is something that we are honest about but I I, I think it's very important that we, we we do make it clear to people as Sarah said quitting is really difficult you know like like we want to help people and we want to make it as easy as we can for them but it's really difficult and the the reality is that um if somebody has been smoking for years and years and they make their first quit attempt they may not be successful with that first quit attempt and they may fail. But then I think what was really interesting was how Sarah told us that although she failed, that had an impact then in terms of she kind of learned something from it and and it sort of redoubled her efforts as well. So I thought that was interesting. We know that smoking is the biggest public health challenge in our lifetime. We know that our numbers, as I said before, is our numbers are still at 18%. And I suppose what I want to know is in the last 10 years since Tobacco Free Ireland, where have we come from? And then maybe we'll explore about where are we going to? We have made good progress. Um, If you look at where we were back in the late 90s, probably about one in three people smoked. Um, In terms of where we are at the moment, uh, with the most recent Healthy Ireland survey, which is a check-in that we do with everybody once a year um, in the country about their health, we take a sample of them, we ask them a number of questions. Uh, We would find um, back in uh, 2022 that um, smoking has reduced. So it's now running at about one in five people or 18% versus, as I said, being uh, one in three back in the late 90s. So that's that's great great progress, you know, and that's progress we've all delivered together. You know, obviously there has been policy leadership in terms of legislation. You talked about the uh, smoke-free workplace ban, think about things like plain packaging as well. So that's helped. Obviously the work that the HSE does help as well. But I think as a society, that's something that we've all brought about because we've all changed our collective attitudes and norms towards smoking. So we've helped that. But um, in terms of where we are at the moment, I I don't think that the problem has gone away. Mm. Not, not, not by a long stretch, you know, uh, one in five people still smoking. And actually, what's a little bit worrying for us, um, those of us working in the HC around tobacco control, is that smoking prevalence appears to have stalled over the last number of years. So if we look back to where smoking was before the pandemic, it was similar to where it is now in 2022, 23. So it's, it's around one in five. Yeah. So, you know, re- really, it, it underscores that we really need to double down on this problem. And Paul, one of the other things um, that I'm aware of is that it's the first time in 25 years that the smoking prevalence in children has increased. So that is extremely worrying. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. That's right. And, you know, we may come on and talk about some of those trends in terms of things that are going on around smoking and, of course, vaping um, and young people. But absolutely, um, you know, those trends in terms of the fact that we haven't seen continuing reductions in smoking prevalence in children and young people and the fact that we have seen an apparent stall in smoking prevalence across the adult population it just really underscores the fact that we need to double down on our efforts and try and bring this problem to, to an end because you know when we step back at it and look at it from a from the perspective of the public's health you know each week in Ireland 
there are 100 people die from smoking-related harm. So that's more than enough to fill and a double-decker bus. Just when you mentioned that more than 100, I've heard a figure now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard a figure that more people, even through COVID, since the beginning of COVID, mm. more people died of smoking than COVID. Yes. And we were up in arms. We were so disappointed with the number of people who died of mm. COVID. And we're still seeing those deaths from smoking. Oh, absolutely. And and obviously, you know, COVID has been a big, 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 um, big impact for us all and a big impact on the public's health. But, you know, when you stand back from it and look at it from the lens of population health and think mm. about this problem over a number of decades, actually, the scale of impact on public health from uh, smoking is huge. So, as I yeah. said, you know, there's around 100 deaths per week. There's a thousand hospitalizations each week in Ireland yeah. that are related to smoking and, and, and the harm that that causes. And just to put a picture on that, that's equivalent to about 5% of our bed capacity in our acute hospitals. So that would be the equivalent of, say, St. Vincent's in Dublin yeah. or University Hospital Limerick, full on a day-to-day basis with people who are there because of smoking related harm. So like this is a this is this remains, despite the progress that we've achieved collectively, this remains a huge public health problem. So Paul, are we just talking to to deaf ears? Are we not getting through to people? Are we I know we've started a new campaign in the HSE at the beginning of the year. So is it making any difference? Are people, do they realise that nicotine is a drug, that they're addicted to nicotine? To me, my I think it's all about the nicotine. Yeah, well, I, I, I think one of the features, and it was interesting when you were talking about COVID. So if you step back and think about it, I suppose one of the features of the epidemic of smoking related harm, and we would use that term, mm. we would talk about it as an epidemic, is that it has moved slowly over time. You know, and and if you compare that or contrast it with something like COVID, sure, there we were in the matter of a few weeks or a few months, and this thing was was huge and was impacting our lives. So, something that that moves very quickly, like COVID, that has a sense of urgency with it. But I think back to your question, Noreen, the real challenge for those of us who work in 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 trying to tackle the harms caused by smoking is trying to keep that urgency around yeah. it because it's such a slow moving problem, and everybody will think, oh, but you know, haven't we done that? You know, haven't yes. we done the work free that the smoke free workplace legislation haven't we done plain packaging you know haven't we got the ads on the telly and so on and so forth exactly. but really we need to keep our keep our focus on this uh, not least because as you said there are stalling trends in the population generally but also from the point of view of the next generation as well so I was really interested to hear about Sarah talk about the concern that she mm. had that her own smoking maybe was sending a kind of a negative role model for, for, for her children and you know I think if we all we would all really want to protect uh, children in terms of the huge harm caused by smoking and the fact that we've seen those trends in terms of um, no longer seeing that reduction in smoking among uh, children and young people and uh, in fact concerned that that may be turning up again uh, uh, somewhat uh, that really underscores the fact that we need to, yeah. to focus in on this. Yeah, And obviously a key thing at the moment is with young people is the vaping. I mean, vaping is everywhere. They're vaping in the bathrooms at school. There's vaping on the way to school in school uniforms. And it's so distressing to see the number of kids. But do they really know what vaping is? Is there mixed messages out there? Do they think it's just a nice pink, cool thing to do to hold in your hand that matches your outfit and the smell is lovely and the taste is lovely now? You yeah. can get it whatever flavour you want and you can buy them. I mean, what are we doing about that? Yeah, no, look, uh, Noreen, I, I think you've characterised it really well. Um, I think this this challenge around vaping and e-cigarettes is something that has 
kind of come up on us very quickly. It's it's evolving around us and, and it's pretty complex. And I do think that there have been sort of mixed messages and maybe gaps in communication in relation to the risks that are associated with this. So I think it's probably helpful just to start with a few facts. Yeah, so I think so, we, because what? we have a couple of different parts of the community or the population that smoke. We have the kids that are smoking, but in a lot of countries, they're advising that people should use yeah. vapes or e-cigarettes to give up smoking. And we're not advising that. No. So did they right. know something about the vape? that we don't know or these cigarettes that we don't know Paul uh, no look interesting Noreen I think you've, you've kind of struck to the heart of some of the complexity and maybe some of the mixed messaging that there is around around e-cigarettes so just in terms of the facts so like what are we talking about here uh, e-cigarettes or vaping that relates to people inhaling a heated liquid that contains nicotine so they're, they're they're receiving nicotine through that now they're not burning tobacco to get nicotine so they're not exposed to all of those noxious chemicals that we are we know are associated with uh, burning tobacco but there are still uh, concerns in relation to the harms and the helping impacts around it in terms of where we are in relation to statistics and how many people are vaping in Ireland so you know when we look at the Healthy Ireland survey which I spoke about uh, that would tell us that about three to four percent of the population who are aged 15 years and older are vaping and um, mostly they are people who are currently smoking or ex-smokers. However, we have seen a rapid increase in vaping among younger adults, so people that are aged 15 to 24. In fact, we saw a fourfold increase over recent years. So back in 2015, about 1% of people in that age group would have uh, used e-cigarettes. It's gone up to about 4%. Then when we look at children, and I think one of the best sources for us there is the SBAD study, which is a, a study done in Ireland and other European countries looking at um, the experience of children and young people in schools, particularly when it relates to different sorts of substances that may be addictive. So back in 2015, when we looked at Irish children through that SBED survey, about one in 10 of them would have been Mm. regularly using uh, e-cigarettes. That has increased in 2019 to one in five or 18%. Particularly that increase was among boys and and that was linked to the point that you made, Noreen, around the increase in in smoking as well. Yeah, and sorry to interrupt you, Paul, because we know know now that if, uh, if cigarettes were being introduced in 2023 it just wouldn't happened so no. how did this happen how did this happen how did all of a sudden even when sarah gave up cigarettes five or six years ago there was no vaping and all of a sudden it's everywhere yeah, how did it happen the, 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 this has emerged very quickly so we know that there are there, there's an industry behind this and in fact interestingly while the industry one was initially established that was producing e-cigarettes was independent we know that over time those industries have been increasingly bought out by the tobacco industry so the tobacco industry has a huge stake in the production and the sale and the promotion of e-cigarettes cigarettes as well so that is quite worrying so from the HSE's perspective when it comes to talking about e-cigarettes um, I think it's best to break it down and think about it from the perspective of what this means for children and young people yeah. and then what this means for adults particularly adults who maybe are smoking and are wondering might using an e-cigarette help me to quit so from the point of view of children I think it's very important that we are absolutely clear with people that e-cigarettes are associated with harm for children and absolutely no benefits. So when I say harm to you, Noreen, what I mean there is, as I said, e-cigarettes, they release nicotine. We know that nicotine is very dangerous for children and young people. So we know it is highly addictive, a point that Sarah made already. We know then that uh, nicotine has particularly particular effects on the developing brains of children and young people. So it has effects on their attention. It has effects on their impulse control. It has effects on their mood as well. There are other health effects as well in terms of the experience 
exposure of developing lungs to the vapor from e-cigarettes. And then one of the things that's particularly worrying is that the Health Research Board published a study where they reviewed all of the different work that had been done internationally, looking at what happens when uh, children and young people who don't smoke start to vape and whether or not those children then are more likely to go on and start smoking. And what they found was that children and young people who don't smoke but start to vape, they are at a three to five fold increased risk of going on then and starting to smoke. So all of those factors together would signal to us that there is harm associated with e-cigarettes and vaping for children and young people. There are absolutely no no benefits. And it's really important that we do everything that we can to protect children and young people when it comes to vaping and e-cigarettes. And one of the big measures that we're going to see hopefully introduced this year is um, new legislation from our Department of Health that the minister announced at the end of 2022, which is a tobacco and inhaling nicotine products bill, which will, for the first time in Ireland, put in place legal protection to Very safeguard good. children in relation to the retail of um, e-cigarettes and vaping devices. So when you say safeguard children, what do you mean? Well, well, you the, won't the be sad able to reality, buy cigarettes sad, or what does it actually the mean? The sad reality, uh, Noreen, and I have a kind of a, a heavy <coughs> heart even just, um, just saying this, which is that today a kid in Kerry in the Midlands in Dublin can walk into a vaping shop and they could be sold a vaping device and uh, really? e-cigarette liquid without there being any accountability for the retailer. So I know that people will find that quite wow, surprising. Wow, I'm actually shocked. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, so that's that's a really big gap in terms of the protection of children and young people. And in fact, I'm sad to say that Ireland is quite an outlier because most other countries have moved on this and they've put appropriate re- regulations in place. But look, it is positive that um, that piece of legislation has been announced by the Department of Health mm. and look forward to working with them in terms of um, and the when passage will that, of that. When will that come We're in? We're expecting that to be discussed in the Oireachtas this year in 2023 and all being well, hopefully we will see that enacted before the end of the year. And well, then you'd want to really at this oh, stage. Oh, absolutely. I think there, there, there's huge urgency around it because, you know, Noreen, um, in my own working life, you know, kind of involved in lots of different things and, you know, regularly in contact with people who deliver our stop smoking services across the country. But one of the saddest uh, things that I, I experienced back in 2022 was a contact that was made to me by one of our stop smoking advisors um, in, in a part of our country who was reaching out to me for advice because a young person in their early teens had presented to their service with their parents um, who was addicted to vaping and she was wondering wow. what she could offer in that situation. I mean, that child was in a situation where they were finding it difficult to stay sitting in a classroom all day uh, because they were so addicted to, to yeah. vaping. So I think that sort of you know, really, really characterised the And the effect the that the nicotine exactly, was having on exactly, her to be able exactly, to sit in the exactly, class. She exactly, was craving it. Exactly. So look, I, I, I think absolutely we need to we need to get moving on that. The legislation will help. There's work that we're doing within the HSE as well. So, you know, we have developed new resources for schools through our SPHE programme. We also have community-based initiatives like Planet Youth that are Very building good. capacity within our communities in terms of helping children live their best lives and trying to protect them against the harms, harms that relate to a number of different substances, including e-cigarettes as well. But I think the legislation will be very important because it will put that safeguard in place. And I think it will really signal and cut through maybe some of the noise that people have and some of this kind of mixed messaging. Oh, is this good or is this bad? It will be very clear then that that, that in terms of children and young people, this is um, a harm 
no benefits and they need to be protected. Mm. I think then, you know, you, you, you were talking about uh, adults and people who currently smoke. And I think there is a question and people will be aware that in, in other jurisdictions in the UK, for example, you know, they, they, they might say to people who are thinking about stopping, well, look, you might try an e-cigarette um, as mm. a way to stop. So um, here within the, the HSE uh, back in 2022, we published Ireland's first National Stop Smoking Guidelines. Um, I chaired that group. Uh, that was a wide group of a number of different experts including patient representatives, people who had previously smoked. And we went through a very robust and comprehensive process where we looked at a wide range of different studies and evidence, some of which was collated for us by HICWED that people will be aware of, and also by the Health Research Board. And we looked at the question of these cigarettes and whether or not we would recommend them as a way that might help people stop smoking. Mm. And, you know, I remember when I was chairing the group, you know, there was a lot of sort of debate around the, uh, around this and people had different points of view. And I said to people, look, it's really important that we keep a level head here. And we look at this question in terms of whether e-cigarettes might help in the same way we would look at anything else that might help. So whether that was behavioral support, whether that was nicotine replacement therapy, whether that was acupuncture, hypnotherapy, whatever. Let's just apply a standard process, a set of questions to the to, to this proposition, you know, should should e-cigarettes be used uh, to help people stop smoking and see does it stack up? And yeah. if it does stack up, then we'll have to recommend them. And if it doesn't stack up, then we say that. Mm. You know, so 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 the, the questions that we asked were, well, look, the first question we asked was, do these things work? Are they effective in helping people stop smoking? So we were supported there by an evidence review that was conducted by the Health Research Board. And they found that the studies that looked at the effectiveness of e-cigarettes as a way of helping people to stop were, were mixed. They had mixed findings. And overall, they had low confidence in relation to that evidence about whether or not e-cigarettes um, help people to, to stop smoking. So in terms of effectiveness, I don't think we were satisfied that there was robust evidence that e-cigarettes currently um, are an effective way of helping people stop. The next question then is around safety. So we know that e-cigarettes are not without harm. And the other thing is, there are a lot of unknowns around them as well. So mm. it will take some time, a number of years for studies to be conducted where we have a better view in terms of what the long term safety profile is associated with e-cigarettes. And I think importantly for us as well, and we'll be probably talking about stop smoking medicines, when as a healthcare professional, we recommend to somebody who's smoking that you might try a stop smoking medicine with great confidence in that because they're regulated. We know that the health products regulatory agency is involved there and they can stand over these products, just checks and balances in place. But there just aren't the same checks and balances in terms of safety when it comes yeah. to e-cigarettes. And then the last thing is we kind of asked ourselves the question, well, look, is this clinically sound? And I suppose from our point of view as a guideline development group, we recognise that there are already a range of different supports that are available to people, that we can be confident work, that mm. we can be confident are safe. So why would we take a risk with something that we're not sure works where yeah. we have a lot of questions in terms of safety. And we think at the moment, it's better to focus people's advice in on directing people who are uh, smoke and are interested in stopping smoking to things that we know do work and, and are safe. So that would be things like um, behavioural support from the HSE. And that would be things like stop smoking medicines, nicotine replacement yeah. therapy. But look, this is something that we'll watch and we'll wait and yeah. we'll see, you know. So that that, that 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 position may evolve over time as more studies are done. I mean, if we step back and look at it, I mean, you know, e-cigarettes 
do contain nicotine and we, we, we use yeah. nicotine I think in a controlled and safe way to I help do, people stop. I just so wonder, I think is, that, watch the space. is that one of the points that people don't understand that there are nicotine is in vapes and that's what the problem is. It's, yes. the, it's, it's obviously in cigarettes, you've got all the other ingredients, but it's nicotine that gets you hooked. Absolutely. And I wanted to just ask Sarah, Sarah, from your point of view, it must be very difficult in the We Can Quit program to I'm sure I'm assuming that people come to you and say, but vaping is much better than cigarettes. And but I just as well to be vaping. All we say is we don't advocate for the vapes. It's not something that we think is a good idea. However, people are grown and it's not our job to tell people, you know, what to do. So Mm. all personally, all I do as a facilitator is tell them that really there hasn't been enough research put in. We don't know the dangers and we probably won't know the dangers for many years. And then I'll also point out to them that if they ever watch somebody who vapes, they vape continuously. Yeah, They continuously are sucking on this thing. And we say about replacing one bad habit for another. You know, I kind of say to people, when you have a cigarette, you'll have your cigarettes for five to ten minutes and you put it out and you walk away when you vape, you're vaping. All of, All the, of time. the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul, when you go on back to giving up uh, cigarettes again and the medication that is available, do you want to just outline a little bit to what is available? Because, you know, like Sarah says, a lot of people or like we've said, a lot of people may be very tempted to go for vaping. Yeah, well, look, um, I, 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 I think it was interesting to listen to Sarah's story. I think one of the things that you really underline for us is that uh, smoking is a kind of a complex behaviour and it really gets tied into to people's lives and the way that they live their lives. And I, one of the things that we've done within the HSC Tobacco Free Ireland programme, uh, one of the things that we deliver is the mass media campaign, the quick campaign that people might have seen yeah. on television and radio. And it was interesting listening to Sarah there because I was thinking about the discussions that we would have had back in 2022 when we were developing the new quit campaign. And one of the things that we do when we develop those campaigns, the very first thing we do actually is we go out and we speak to people who smoke because we want to understand what their lived experience is and how do we kind of connect and engage with them. And we heard themes very similar to what Sarah was talking about there. So we heard from people about the control that smoking has over their lives. So we heard about people telling us that they were leaving kind of, you know, social situations, parties, birthdays and things like that to go out and smoke. Uh, They told us about the control that smoking has over their pockets. So, you know, people will tell us about the fact that they're needing to spend almost 100 euros a week or 5,000 euros a year if they're they're buying cigarettes. They told us about the control that uh, smoking has on their day-to-day habits. So how they live their day and they're thinking, can I go out here and smoke or where am I? I go to buy a packet of cigarettes as well. And when we reflected on that, we recognised that actually what we really needed to call out as the Tobacco Free Ireland programme with our new quick campaign is the control that smoking has over people's lives and the fact that smoking is an addiction. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a it's a psychological component to that addiction. There are physical components to that addiction as well. And I think when you help to reframe smoking, which people will often say, oh, that's somebody's choice, you know, that they're smoking. But actually, when you call out that smoking has control over their lives, that this is a physical and psychological addiction, Mm. then when people think about it that way, you would think, well, how would you try and overcome any addiction without reaching out for support, which is exactly what Sarah did. And in terms of the support that we can provide within the HSC Tobacco Free Ireland uh, programme through our Stop Smoking Services delivered nationally, 
we, we provide people with a combination of behavioral support, which is sitting down and talking with somebody about your smoking behavior and and having a program in place in terms of the the skills to help you through kind of cravings and the potential mm. to so relax. So the trigger points, the trigger, the trigger points, points exactly. that Sarah that's mentioned. It. That's yeah. it. So there's a behavioral component to that, uh, which addresses the psychological components of the addiction. And then th- we also recommend that people would use stop smoking medicine. So we heard from Sarah that Sarah used nicotine replacement therapy. And what I, what I noted when Sarah was talking about nicotine replacement therapy is that she used combination nicotine replacement therapy. Right, okay. So that is where somebody uses nicotine replacement therapy both as a patch which slowly releases nicotine into somebody's bloodstream over an extended period so so you're providing somebody with a baseline level of nicotine to help them with their cravings as they come off cigarettes and then she combined that or she used combination therapy because she also used a fast acting form so in sarah's case that was um, a chewing gum which a lot of people like but there are lots of fast acting forms. And is this free, Paul? Is it free? Well, I was going to go on and say one of the measures that we put in place last year and that is in place now for 2023 is that we have free nicotine replacement therapy available through our stop smoking services. For everybody. Because for everybody. So, so many, you know, a number of people who use our services would have a medical card and obviously, you know, they can link back with their GP and have a prescription written and go to a pharmacy. And there's a, But there are particular sort of rules around that as well. And there are a number of barriers in place. And then for other people who maybe don't have... Um, a medical card we had heard from them that the cost of nicotine replacement therapy was a barrier as well so we put in place measures to overcome that barrier and make it easier for people to use nicotine replacement therapy of course i would always say to people as well look if you step back from it the investment that somebody would make in nicotine replacement therapy is a drop in the ocean versus what they would be spending on cigarettes. So, or what are you dropping the ocean of what they'd be spending if they're admitted to hospital with well, some kind look, of Well, look, and, and actually a very illness. good point, Noreen, yeah. because from our point of view then, when we were discussing it within the health services, our view was, well, look, the money that we would spend on providing people with access to free nicotine replacement therapy is a drop in the ocean versus what yeah. um, nicotine, uh, what what smoking is costing the health services on an annual basis. So the uh, smoking costs the health services at least half a billion That's each year. Incredible. So yeah. every time, to put that into context, every time that we spend 100 euros on providing health services here in Ireland, two euro 50 of that is spent treating harm that's wow. been caused by smoking. So the, the very small investment that we make in terms of providing people with free yeah. nicotine replacement therapy, we feel is money well spent because we know that nicotine replacement therapy, particularly when, as Sarah said, she combined it with a program of behavioural support, that offers you the best chance of becoming yeah. smoke free. So if somebody uses a combination of behavioural support along then with combination nicotine replacement therapy, they can increase their chances of becoming smoke free by up to fourfold. That's amazing. And Paul, one of the things I was thinking about as well as GPs and the importance of GPs, mm. I mean, they're the people that the public go to if they've got an issue. But do you think they really speak openly to their GP about smoking or does the GP bring it up with them and say, look, have you thought yeah. about this? Should it be part of every visit to the GP mm. or should it be part of every visit to the hospital? Again, really interesting, you know, if you think about the sort of myths or mis- misconceptions that there may be around smoking. So I talked about that misconception that, oh, somebody is smoking, that's their choice. That's that's a misconception. It's an addiction, mm. you know. And, and then the other thing that you'll hear is, oh, well, 
smell. You know, if somebody smokes, they don't want somebody asking them if they, they you know, talking about their smoking and that they should stop. Yeah. Actually, that's not the case. You know, through our annual Healthy Ireland survey, we know that two in three people who smoke tell us that they're actually interested in quitting. Two One in three two, people. Two out of three people who smoke have a positive intention towards quitting. They, they're they interested mm. in quitting. And the next thing is one in two people who smoke will have made at least one quit attempt in the previous 12 months. So there's a you know, there's a huge interest among people who smoke in quitting. Actually, we have more quitters than smoking smokers heard, in Ireland. As, and at, Paul, at the, at the I, I've heard people say, smokers say, as a smoker, every day I think about quitting. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so absolutely. I think it's very important for the public generally, but particularly for our healthcare professionals, coming back to, to what people can do in our health services, to be aware that uh, people that are using our health services who smoke, that they would be interested in quitting. And so one of the things that I mentioned, uh, Noreen, is that in 2022, the Tobacco Free Ireland programme within the HSE, we launched Ireland's first national stop smoking guidelines. So I, I, I chaired a group that developed those. And, and as I said, we went through a very robust process. We looked at lots of different evidence. We looked at practice in different countries. And we have for the first time consolidated a guideline which sets out what we think is effective, safe, clinically sound care for somebody who smokes when it comes to stopping smoking. And, you know, we're, we're now working on the implementation of those. And the reality is there is a huge opportunity for healthcare professionals to raise the question of smoking yeah. with people using our services. Actually, sadly, to our Healthy Ireland survey, people who smoke would tell us that seven out of 10 times that they saw a healthcare professional recently the whole issue of smoking wasn't raised with them. It wasn't. It wasn't I thought raised. you were going to say, no, do we not have no. something called making every contact count? We, we we do. We do have that. So I think there's an opportunity to bring together making every contact count with our new national stop smoking guidelines to try and work with our healthcare professionals who, look, are doing busy jobs under challenging circumstances and they want the best for their patients to sort of recognise that if they can just take that moment when they're interacting with a patient to address their needs and interest in stopping mm. smoking by raising. We know that if a healthcare professional asks somebody about their smoking, if somebody says, I do smoke, if they say to them, that's quite bad for your, for, for, yeah, for your health. Yeah, but do you think, Paul, and, a lot of our healthcare workers smoke? Is that the difficulty? So they don't want to be preaching if they're the ones who, are, a lot of them are smoking themselves. No, actually, um, in fact, healthcare professionals versus the general population, there is a lower prevalence of smoking. So, so, so the issue I don't think is around, you know, the smoking behaviour of our healthcare professionals and that being a barrier to raising it. I think, the reality is we all know that healthcare professionals, mm. you know, they're, they're under pressure, working in difficult situations. Uh, but we know that if they implement in their practice that moment of asking about smoking, yeah. um, then if somebody says they smoke, advising them about the harms. And then the third step is arranging support. So, uh, you know, pointing somebody to quit.ie, 1800 201 203, uh, referring uh, to our stop smoking services. We know that those steps, if somebody who's delivering healthcare services, a general practitioner, um, a general practice nurse, somebody in a hospital setting as well, if they do that with somebody who smokes, who's using our services, that, that can double their chances yeah. of becoming smoke free. And it only takes about 30 seconds, you know. And, and as I said to you, the thing is, that is something actually that somebody using the services wants and expects. Mm. You know, a lot, lot, lot of research has been done around this. And, and when you speak to people who smoke, who use our healthcare services, and we know that people who smoke often have uh, chronic disease, so they're, they, they can be heavier users of our health services than other people. But they themselves actually are quite surprised yeah. when they come through the service and nobody has stopped, them yeah. to stopped and said, 
actually, are you a smoker and that's not good for you and here's how we can help. They're expecting that. So I think it's about us putting the enablers in place for our healthcare professionals so that they can do the right thing. So we want to flip that and say seven out of the ten times that I've met a Ten out of ten, Laurie. Ten out of ten (laughs) that I've met a a healthcare professional, they actually ask me about my smoking. Exactly, but like, you know, and that's that's a huge opportunity. It sounds like a small and a simple thing, but if you step back from it and if you think about you know, 100,000 people working in the health services. If you think about the number of interactions that there are with members of the public in primary care, community services and hospital services, if you think about the fact that one in five people in the population smoke higher among people who are using health services because smoking Mm. causes chronic disease. Actually, if we make that small change and use that opportunity to make every contact count, actually the impact on yes. the public's health could be huge. So look, we're, we're, we're working through the Tobacco Free Iron Programme and with other colleagues in health and wellbeing to try and make that ambition a reality for our health yeah. services so that we have, an, we have an actual health service and not just a sick, sickness service, but a service that is trying to work with people to help them maintain their health and try to prevent disease. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul, for all of that. And Sarah, it sounds like it's a slow process to give up cigarettes. And it's a difficult process to make that first step. Yeah. So if you were to talk to somebody sitting at home now or whatever, listening to this podcast, what would you say to them about making the first step? What would you say to encourage them to do it? And how would you get them to just take the chance and giving up cigarettes? Well, I'd tell them if if they really want to give up smoking, just make the call or ring their local partnership. And what they can also do if they don't want to walk into the group because maybe like myself, they're stay at home moms and their confidence is a little bit low. They can always ring the number and then they can end up talking to a community facilitator, somebody like me. And I would just talk them through the program. I'd make them feel very welcome. I think just pick up the phone, know that there's help available. Paul, Where are we now? What are we going to do? What are the quick wins? If you had three things that you could say in 2023. I think um, in terms of trying to trying to tackle this problem, look, um, in terms of three areas for focus, um, the first is to try and get implemented into daily practice and try and make sure that all of our public experience things that we know work in terms of helping people to stop smoking. So, you know, this year um, within the HSE, we're expanding our stop smoking services. We have 50 new stop smoking advisors. We have a new campaign. We're making nicotine replacement therapy free. So, you know, and then, as I said, we're trying to work in terms of implementing uh, new national stop smoking guidelines within our services. So, you know, rather than doing something brand new, I think the first thing will be actually to focus on implementing and getting into practice the things that we know work. The next thing is, um, Noreen, I, I, I think we do need to focus in on children and young people and make sure that they're protected. So we've already spoken about the gap that there is in terms of protecting children and safeguarding them against the sale of e-cigarettes and and, and, and vaping devices. So I uh, really welcome um, the news from the, our minister at the end of last year that there's new legislation coming forward. And I think we need to get that in, into place. I, I think we do need to be stronger and clearer in terms of the harms that are associated with vaping. But look, the third thing I think that we need to do then is I think collectively, like we've come so far, I've talked about the reduction in smoking prevalence since the late 90s, you know, down from one in three now to to one in five. And I talked about the fact that we have done that 
collectively as a country because we've changed our, our, our norms, our attitudes towards smoking. I think there's a real opportunity for us to sort of reframe this. So I think I think heretofore we've been quite focused in on trying to control the harm caused by smoking to the population. So look, let's try to get it down to a lower level and that would be really good. But we have to stop and say, like, is it still in 2023, given everything that we know about the harms caused by smoking, acceptable that 100 people mm. in Ireland are dying a week from, from smoking. I think there's a real opportunity for us to bring that problem to, a har- to an end and to eliminate the harm that's caused by smoking completely. In fact, that is at the heart of the 2023 government policy document, Tobacco-Free Ireland. It's in the title. So the ambition is that we would have a Tobacco-Free Ireland. And what that means practically is that smoking prevalence would be less than 5%. We are off track and we're not going to deliver that goal. So that goal, that goal of a Tobacco-Free Ireland was set in that 2020, 2013 government policy document for 2025. In terms of where we are at the moment, we're not going to, to meet that. So I really think um, it is in our collective interest that we would renew our focus on that as a goal, sort of, you know, acknowledge that we've done a good job in terms of controlling tobacco and smoking related harm. But we now need to get serious about eliminating it completely. And I think we can do that because if you look at, uh, for example, New Zealand, uh, people may be aware that last year they announced really ambitious a package of policy measures that have the potential to eliminate the harm caused by smoking. So they're talking about establishing a tobacco-free generation. They're talking about reducing or eliminating the nicotine content in tobacco products. And they're talking about radically reducing the retail footprint. So, that, so reducing uh, the nicotine in tobacco products. That's, that's one so it's really things. just can science and technology get together to really help this problem? Uh, uh, absolutely, Noreen. So look, I, I think there's a real opportunity for us to innovate, yeah. to try and eliminate the harm that's caused by smoking. So one of those innovations would be effectively to turn the industry back on itself. So yeah. we know that the reason that people smoke tobacco is because of Nicotine. We know that nicotine is the, the what causes the addiction, and it is technically feasible through product innovation to reduce and eliminate the nicotine content in tobacco products, and that would actually make them less addictive. So you know, people people who smoke yeah. aren't smoking for the taste of it. You know, they're smoking because they're addicted to nicotine. So that is one of three tobacco end game policy measures that were announced in New Zealand and that that collectively uh, together with then the tobacco free generation and reducing the retail footprint have the potential in New Zealand to eliminate the harm caused wow. by smoking, bring it to, to, to very, very minimal levels. And I think, as I said, Noreen, in 2013, we were all very pleased to hear our government committing to that goal in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So that goal was set, the target for that was set in 2025. We're not going to meet that. I think it's really welcome that we have the piece of legislation that's coming forward this year that's going to strengthen the licensing of the retail environment and address that issue in terms of the sale of e-cigarettes and, and, and vaping devices to children and young people. But I think there's an opportunity with that to review where we are with that Tobacco Free Ireland goal, to recommit to it and get a very um, concrete plan in place to deliver on it. And you know what, Noreen, the thing about that is that's something that would have huge public support. So within the Tobacco Free Ireland programme, we went out last year um, in 2022 and we asked the public what they thought about uh, a Tobacco Free Ireland, that idea of eliminating the harm caused by smoking. And actually, three out of four told us that they supported it. 
three out of four thought that it was achievable. So it wasn't just wishful thinking. They yeah, actually Paul, thought this could be done. Paul, we never thought that um, the smoking environments would ever be achievable well, in Ireland. And look how, how well, we were look, the first in the a, world to do a great, it. There's a great quote. So look, I often, I know sometimes when I when I talk about these ideas and this idea of tobacco-free Ireland and all of these different measures, people might roll their eyes and think, goodness me, like, would we ever do that? There's a great um, quote by Nelson Mandela. He says, um, you know, everything is impossible until it's done. Exactly. And if you think about it, you know, the night before we went to smoke free bars in Ireland, everybody was thinking this is not going to happen. And within a week, it was all yeah. fine. You know, the same with the plastic bag tax, etc. I, I, I think this idea of a tobacco free Ireland, as I said, when we went out and asked the public, there's huge popular support for this. So three out of four support it, three out of four think it's achievable in terms of these really bold measures and I talked about some of those bold measures mm. from New Zealand uh, when we went and we asked people in, in Ireland their thoughts on those and they were hearing these ideas for the very first time actually there was a majority support for most of them including high support among people who actually smoke who are probably mm. worried about the next generation as well so I would think from a political perspective there's a huge opportunity here in terms of leadership and mm. a legacy to be the political leader that would take those bold measures get a really concrete tobacco endgame plan in Ireland that turns that bold ambition into a reality. Well, thank you very much, Paul. I think that your enthusiasm and motivation for a tobacco-free Ireland is contagious. And again, thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us today. For those of you who want to quit, please go to quit.ie to get support free of charge from the HSE. And again, thank you both of you for joining me today for the HSE Health and Wellbeing podcast. <laughs>